podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Craig Fowler, and I'm here basically to replace Sean McWiggan because I am joined by one of our lower league experts, that is Craig G. Telfer. Hello, Craig. Hello, Craig. I, I should have come up with an intro, I completely forgot. I, I was kind of hoping you would host and you, you would have a, an intro, a, a, a problematic duel, I think is the best way to put it. Fuller, I won't say who the intro, who the people were, but there was an intro that Sean and I recorded, which you subsequently listened to and edited out. So I bear that in mind. Yeah, it was something to do with hijacked jetliners being flown <laughs> into buildings. It's too close to the anniversary. It, it, it was. It was. <laughs> um, that's why I specifically, I specifically name them for for a reason. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we go again. But it's it's a, it's a different vibe. This podcast, I'm getting very substitute teacher vibes from you. Well, like most substitute teachers... Ah, fuck's sake. <laughs> that's a good start. Like most substitute Way, teachers... That's the class all going like that. You've, <laughs> no! you've, all, you've automatically you've lost the respect already. Gonna have to hide in a cupboard for the rest of this session. No, like most substitute teachers, I have done a lot of preparation. But, well, I'd say most, actually. Some substitute teachers just came in and stuck a video on and basically yeah, yeah. Went, almost went to sleep in the chair. They were the favourites. But others... But I like, like the ones that want the children to learn. I have done lots of research to bone up on three lower league teams and we're focusing on three teams that have got embattled managers at this point in time because there are three sides, two from Central League One and one from League Two, who are not having a good time of it at this moment. And well, shall we just go in the order of where they are in the food chain right now? Yes, I think so. But just something just popped into my head there when you mentioned substitute teachers. I remember in my second year at school, one of our RE teachers was off. And, and so one teacher, this guy, people who went to Labrador High School will know who this guy is. RE teacher, small guy, little glasses, terrible teacher, absolutely terrible teacher. But he basically had to merge these two classes together. One of older boys who really weren't there, who really weren't interested in learning, really weren't interested in their education, and us. And uh, we had one guy who was showing off in front of the older boys. He came from quite a, a family of ill repute. Um, not like the Mansons or anything like that. They were just like sort of like hard around town. And he actually thumped the, 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 the teacher. And I, saw, I, I saw a teacher being punched. And I know that... You should never go to your job expecting to be hit, but this teacher really was a really bad teacher, really bad at his job. Yes, teachers, referees, healthcare professionals. Yes. Police. Any, any, any of these jobs are these jobs that I can't do. If there's, a, if there's a heightened chance that a member of the public or even a school child may punch me, then it's not for me. Not so for I was me. thinking, you mean, with school children, I mean, effectively, if you're 14... You're, like I'm, I don't want to sound like Jim Spence talking about his upbringing in Burke Hill, but I mean, if you're old enough to throw out a punch, you're old enough to take one. Yes, I, would, uh, I, I think it should be perfectly fine if a 40 year old punches you. You can just 
and annihilate them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I appreciate in a classroom there's a, there's a power dynamic there, but I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to do if someone like, like, like comes for you? I mean, there's a saying in boxing that everybody's got a plan until you get punched. Mm. I, I think it's very easy to say as well that you should turn the other cheek and be patient and respect mm. the fact that you're older and bigger. But once you get punched, again, that should kind of that goes out the window. That kind of rationale. So is that your saying, Fowler? If a twelve-year-old boy punched you, you would see the red mist and you would kick his head in. Is that effectively what you're yes, saying? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Oh, That's what yeah. I'm advocating for. That when I when I am in charge, that is going to be the first law passed down. Well, there's your clip for social media. Then Craig Fowler, letters, kids. <laughs> ah, do you know who could do with a real bully type? Queen of the South. Oh, yes, aye. Queen of the South not having a particularly good time of it over the past, I'd say, I was going to say a couple of weeks, but I think it's longer than that, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely longer than that. Probably two months now. Yeah, five. So they they lost their first game of the season, conceding four goals at home to Alawa, I believe it was. And then they responded with three wins on the bounce. However, those wins were against Edinburgh City, Cove Rangers, and I think Annan Athletic. They have since responded with five consecutive league defeats and the defeat to Arbroath last weekend in the SPFL Trust Trophy was their sixth defeat in seven games. And it just kind of seems to be that there's lots of problems with this team, lots of problems with this squad that was assembled by friend of the show, Marvin Bartley. Hmm. Yeah, I think... It's perhaps before talking about Queens. It's perhaps, or, or sorry, the, the, the current run of form. It's perhaps going back maybe about a year or so, and and, and looking at the, the what Marvin Bartley inherited when he took over from Willie Gibson at Palmerston. They were in a, a pretty, they were like seventh or eighth in the league table at that point, and they were, although they were expected not maybe not to win the division because you're a good Falkirk side and a, a good Dunfermline side. They're not expected to win the division. Challenge for the playoffs, and they they. Failed, spectacularly failed to achieve that. So with Bartley coming in, there was a small opportunity to get into the playoffs, but they would have had to have won about like 90% of their matches to, to do that. And to be fair, they did come close to it. They, they did go on a really impressive run of form, like largely over the latter part of the season. It was just, it was just too much for, for them to do. And I think the thinking was that Bartley had really shown that he had pedigree, shown he had credentials. And once he gets his own players in and gets a good crack at it, this would be the season where you'd really see uh, Marvin Bartley's Queen of the South as legitimate, maybe not title contenders, but definitely promotion contenders. And at this stage, I know it is quite tight and quite compact in that division, but to be how many points? About 14 points of Falkirk and Hamilton Atties at the top of the table? Just need to double check that, but yeah, it's certainly a lot. I, I, I don't think that's very good. And I can understand Queen of the South fans if they're if they haven't already lost faith in him, be very sceptical about the direction the club are going under him because they look at, they look some way away from it at the moment, Fowler. Not just the fact that they're 14 points away from the top of the table, they are only one point away from the relegation playoff spot. And when you're going through such a, a dreadful run that they are suffering through at the moment, then there is quite concerning that, I mean, you, you would think that Part as a full time team in a largely part time league, that even if things continue badly, they can make it to January and make 
you would you would think that they could make more adjustments to their side than some of the teams around them and at least would survive comfortably for another season. And that would that's poor considering what the fans expected at the outset and considering the fact that they did look quite good last season when, when Bartley took over. It's still maybe not enough that if there is belief that they think Bartley can can right his wrongs and, and get things correct in, in January, then there there is a bit of patience there to be had. But at this moment in time they they really are struggling very, very badly and it, there's problems kind of there's multitude of problems with the side. I mean and to give him his credit, there have been injuries to key players throughout the yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. However, there's just I think the last one of the last games it was there was five key players out. But you're still looking at those but that's still I mean, we'll get we'll get onto our team who are going through injuries as well. But like most teams go through injuries. Especially it feels like in the, the current kind of Scottish football climate, there's not many teams that don't have at least a, a few key players out at any point in time. Mm-hmm. And you look at the rest of the squad, I mean, the team that was put out against, I think it was Sterling, I was just looking at it going, like, who the hell are even half these guys? And this was after doing research in the previous few games. So I was getting acquainted with, with the players, <laughs> the, the bigger players, the players who were playing well. And I was like, I've not even heard half of them. And I've been looking at the team the last few games and seeing what supporters have been saying about each of the sides. It feels like issues are, the squad's too lightweight in general. Mm-hmm. They miss, uh, they actually really miss uh, a Marvin Bartley type in the squad. They miss a, a proper screener in front of defence and it's interesting that he allowed Ian Wilson Ian Wilson. Think, yeah, Ian Wilson and Morton, yeah. Yeah, which is a, a curious one because that's somebody that, that feels like they really could have done with to just sit in front of the defence. I know Ian Wilson is kind of, even though he's got the size, he's more kind of known for being somebody who's good with the ball rather than a proper bruiser, but at least he, he has that size to, to be a kind of stopgap in, in front of the back four because you're looking at some of the other players. Regan Mimno, a good midfielder, he's out injured at the moment as well, but he's more kind of terrier-like rather than a kind of stopper. Josh Todd has been getting some praise for his performances, but I remember him being a, a, a winger kind of when he burst onto the scene at Annan Athletic. You've got Alex Ferguson, who's been signed from East Fife. He's just a, a young guy. He's coming in for St. Johnson, not played well, not made an impact at this level. He, I said for East Fife, he played well at East Fife last season, but. Yeah. He's not really handled the step up. He's been fans have said he's been a ghost in most of the games. Even looking at some of the defenders, Jack Bryden's a, a pretty big boy, but Kel McClellan's a bit rake like. Effie Ambrose is doesn't turn up in time. Does he? <laughs> doesn't turn up in time. Gets himself dropped. But even then, he's not exactly. He's made his career on his pace and his. You know, playing the game and yeah, carrying yeah, the ball out from the back and carrying the ball at the back, not from smashing into opponents. And you even look up front, Gavin Riley is their kind of the, the most experienced forward, and he's very small as well. So they just seem a, a very small team. I think you've actually touched on pretty much everything that's uh, that, that's wrong with the team. I, you're right. Um, the because if you're at the fag end of full time football, the players you can attract are the are, are probably young guys who have been released by like maybe championship clubs, maybe premiership clubs, and it really is their last chance of full time football. You know, perhaps that they 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 you not saying they kid themselves, but you know you you've got that you you've got the belief in yourself, you back yourself to think that if I do well at Queen of the South, I can maybe move back up the food chain, move back into premiership football. And that's what Marvin Bartley's dealing with. I think there's a, a lot of guys there that perhaps would have moved into part time football, maybe dropped even further down had it not been for the opportunity to play full-time football with Queen of the South. 
So that's a, a pretty young squad, a pretty inexperienced squad. And you're, you're right in what you say. That's, that's quite an astute observation. That there's a lot of players there who all fit a, a similar kind of profile, sort of like nice, technically good players. Even perhaps, even Harry Cochran as well. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the, the player that I, I, I was thinking of, someone who's, who is like a bit lightweight, good with the ball at his feet, good bit of drive, got a good bit of hustle about him, but ultimately isn't very big. And I don't know what the issue was there with Ian Wilson, because I thought he would have, I thought he'd have excelled going back to being a South, a club that he had done really well with in the past. I'm not sure if him and Bartley saw eye to eye. I don't know what the story is there, but the fact that he's loaned out to one level higher, to when it's a when he is the he is the profile of what they're looking for to, to to add something into the midfield. I was surprised by that. The other things I'll not to keep. I don't want to keep on talking, but uh, up front as well. Yeah, they signed Kel Doherty from Clyde. And Doherty. As a, as a football player, his only real spell of any note was when he was at Albion Rovers. He played really, really well at Albion Rovers to the extent he got a trial with Queen's Park Rangers. Didn't necessarily work out for him, but after that, he went to Kelty Hearts and then to Clyde, and Queen of South actually paid money to sign him. And I know that he scored against our broth at the weekend, but other than that, it's a signing that makes you think, why are we spending money? on, on sort of, He's a bit of a, a big lad that you can hit balls to. I mean, Ten a penny. And then you've got Riley, who I like Riley. He was in loan at the latter part of the season last year with Stenhouse Muir. Works very, very hard. But I think, and you'll know him as well from his time at Heart of Midlothian, somebody who is who will leave everything out in the pitch, very enthusiastic, very willing to do all the dirty stuff, but perhaps lacks that quality in front of goal. And also as well, his, his best days are behind him like he was a Queen of the South very popular player that was how he got his move to Hearts he was part of that vaunted Queen of the South team Yeah. That at one point looked like they were going to perhaps knock Rangers out of the playoffs and that would have yes. been quite something he went to Hearts after that he's never really been he got a chance at Livingston but didn't really do anything but he's never really been back to that level and I think it's clear now that when he's, he's done I think he's still managed to pick up a couple of goals this season but it, it's, it's still it's I think he must be about 30 now, so it's clear that his powers are on the wane. And let's be honest, since he left Queen of the South, the only notable thing he's done was that tweet, a funeral for a friend. <laughs> a real Scottish highlight for me. That is very, very funny. Very, very funny. For those unaware, with the band Funeral for the Friend broke up and then Gavin Riley sent a tweet to say Funeral for a Friend with an emoji that was like a, a, a tear teardrop emoji. And then someday, I think a Hearts fan responded, like, oh, mate, really sorry to hear that. Hope you're doing okay. <laughs> like, ah, it's all right, mate. It's just a bad. <laughs> but I think one of the things, so we're talking about the, the various players in, in the team and, and the issues that, that, that Marvin Bartley's had with them. What have you made of, of Bartley himself? I mean, I, I, I presume you've watched the same things. I haven't watched his post-match interviews and they're quite interesting the way Queen is. I think someone called Sandra, don't know her second name, does the interviews. They're always quite detailed. The way, well, I think it's quite funny when Marvin Bartley will finish a sentence and the tone of his voice is like, that's the end of the interview. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, then there's another question that comes after that. Marvin Bartley answers the question. He's very, very generous with his time. Finishes it with a tone that suggests, that's the end of the question, that's the end of the interview. And then another question comes on in, in, in top of that. And I mean, I, mean, what, I find Marvin Bartley are... Uh, I find him a very interesting guy. You know, we had him on a view from Terrace. You've done stuff with him in the past for the Terrace podcast. He came to the, the Terrace live show last year. 
I really like him. And when I, when I saw him move to Queens, I thought, I really, really hope he does well. Like, he's just got a bit about him. He's, he's been good to us. And I want to see, I wouldn't call him a friend, but an associate have, mm-hmm. um, have uh, a, a degree of success. But watching his interviews, because that's the, the real gateway you get to managers, like, he's, he's like, the same sort of observations. You know, lessons have to be learned. The players know on uncertain terms what's expected from them. And and then subsequently they lose to our broth, albeit in the SPFL Trust Trophy, which, given by Bartley's demeanour, afterwards it wasn't a, a trophy he particularly coveted himself. But I've, I've kind of seen him, he was very upbeat after that interview. That's what I'm trying to arrive at. I think I think it comes across as very impressive most of the time, and I think that is buying him a, a wee bit more time with the the Queen's at least some element of the Queen's support. I know that, that some are starting to turn, especially that defeat at home to Sutherland Albion set off a a lot of alarm bells. Yeah. And I think as well, Fowler. Sorry to cut across you there, but his demeanour and the way he carries himself is in a very stark contrast to the other two managers that we're going to be talking about. Yes, yes, that is that is definitely fair to say, and. Yeah, I think that is buying them time. I think the way I look at this situation is that I think Bartley got it badly wrong in the summer. I, I don't think he signed particularly... It doesn't seem like he signed particularly well. It, it seems like he's... Do what it seems like. He, Bartley was very well respected as a coach at Livingston. And he's certainly somebody that talks a very good game and, and understands the game very well. However, he'd never been a proper manager before. And I think this also reflects the fact that he came into Queen of South last season and gave them a lift. Because mm. I think he looked at a team and he, he saw ways in which to either motivate or tweaks to be made to the side in, in order to make them better. And then you come to a summer where he has to overhaul the squad. And it was a big overhaul as well. They've added yeah. a lot of players. I think it was 14 or 15 in total. Mm-hmm. One of them was the Murray Johnson, the goalkeeper, though, who went back to Hibs almost immediately due to injuries at Easter Road but yeah I think it was 14 14 or 15 and it's it's now kind of whether that mistake is going to cost them really a kind of it might even cost them a long term future in management you'll always get another chance down the road if you, if you keep at it but at what kind of level and how long we have to wait for it and considering his how good he is in the in the media and how well he is respected at that and how much that is just a much easier gig in general than being a football manager and also how respected he is as a coach he'd probably land somewhere like I could imagine he could easily go back to Livingston if it doesn't work out but I think the Queen's board are basically because it feels like at this point in time when you're looking at the teams putting out every week you're not really impressed by that compared to no. the opposition despite being one of the few full-time teams in the league so you're actually looking at it going this isn't going to turn around until January until they can move some players in Learn perhaps learn from his mistakes. Get more bodies into the team who are who are just a bit more rugged and a bit more used to kind of this level and and can play a different style of play. That's another thing as well is that they only really play possession based football, but they don't really move it quickly enough, and they don't really have ways of playing another style. And also, they're a very young team mm. as well, like a very young squad. The, the game against Kelly, their oldest player was Jordan Houston, twenty three. Their oldest player was born this century. Fucking hell, that's uh, not only has that caught me off guard, I feel very old and dispirited by <laughs> by hearing that. I so if, sure. if, the Queen's, if the Queen's board really believe in him and think, right, he's got one transfer window badly wrong, but we think he could do a decent job, then it kind of almost doesn't matter what the results are between now and, and January. 
then they'll just kind of stick with them unless it gets really, really bad, which has always got the possibility to do, I guess. But if you could just kind of muddle along, pick up a few results, it doesn't necessarily have to be getting anywhere near the playoffs again or, or getting anywhere near to cutting that gap on, on Falkirk and Hamilton. It's just about kind of stabilisation and and then he, he needs to, to to learn from from those summer mistakes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what's the expression? You can only piss out the cock you've got. You yep. can't be like, um, I'm, I'm looking and thinking of like East Kilbride, for instance, Mick Kennedy's team who are going through like an injury crisis at the moment. But rather than just like turn the other cheek to borrow your expression again and have patience, no, no, let's just sign players. Let's just sign players to get us through this injury crisis. And you, you, you can't, I mean, it might work fine for Mick Kennedy and the Kitty on divisions, but you can't do that. Uh, you can't do that here. You have to have put a squad together that, that that's a bit of balance with the, all the various constituent parts complement each other. And going back to the point that you made earlier, it feels like there's too many of the same sort of thing in there. And the thing is, it's you can only piss out the cock you've got, but, but then January comes and there's the worry that, that the, the team's turned over and it's the same sort of players. It's a real stick-or-twist thing for Queen of the South because I think their finances are pretty bleak and maybe not not to the extent where it's terminal, but Queen's really, really to get promoted back to the championship. Same with like Falkirk. I'm not sure who's, who's more terminal for. Maybe Falkirk actually, because they always seem to be looking for money all the time. But certainly it's very important that, that both clubs get up and if Queen's aren't within touching distance of the playoffs come January, you really wonder if a decision will be made to, to go elsewhere. Yeah, and it certainly it would certainly take a, like a meteor, meteoric rise in the, the latter half of the campaign for them to to get promoted. They would really have to get into the playoffs and go in with some momentum for for that to happen. Just very unlikely at this point in time. Uh, one of the other observations I had is a propensity to concede late goals. Oh God, I yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Like they've done it, they, they've done it against Falkirk. Brad Spencer scored late on. They've done it against Hamilton Ackies or an eighty fourth minute goal just at the weekend. There, Mikey McKenna scored a ninetieth minute goal to, to win. And it's when when it happens once these things happen in football, it, like you you lose late goals. But when you begin to see it like like happen, I mean, I'm just looking at the Sterling Alvin goal. That's 78th minute. That's not quite as late on. But there's like Falkirk, uh, Hamilton, Queen of the South are both. There's like four out of the last five matches where they've conceded a goal like in the final 15 minutes that's ultimately cost them the match. And then you wonder: is it a concentration thing? Is it a fitness thing? Has the has Bartley made substitutions that have negatively affected what he's looking to do? I don't know. You kind of look for patterns. When you see the same sort of thing happening, you begin to look for patterns, and, and these are the conclusions that I'm perhaps coming to. It just seems like the defence is just bad overall. Like, it's just, just he's not settled on. There was something he'd done in the last game. Hang on, let me, I need to do a quick bit of research well, for this. Well, the, the, the players he said in his, his interview there about like Jack Bryden and Jack Dan Church coming back in, players who, Bryden especially, I think that it's widely acknowledged he's the best defender that Queen of the South have. He is, was coming back from a, a fairly substantial injury and they had to play him perhaps a little bit sooner than they would have liked. But if he's coming back to the fold, Dan Church is coming back to the fold, that's, that's very positive for them. I mean, at the weekend, they're playing on an athletic local derby for them. It would be unfathomable if they were to lose that one, in all honesty. Oh, yeah. Huge game. Huge game. I think against Arbroath. Now, it's not coming up on Google. It's got as a back four, but I'm fairly certain I read, when I was doing the team of the week, I read through the Queen's thread for that on Pine Bovel, and I'm sure that it was said that they played a back three. 
and actually played Paul Mackay in front of the back three to get him as far away from the defence as possible. Yeah, and there was there was talk that they were actually looked a bit steelier and the the late Michael McKenna goal, haven't seen it, but from reports was an absolute belter. So yeah, it was maybe great goal. just yeah, but maybe just a bit unlucky in that sense. And maybe he has stumbled onto something which is going to give him that steeliness they really, really badly need. Anyway, let's move on to the team that is directly below them in the SPFL food chain, and that is Alawa Athletic. Yeah. Bit of an interesting side to talk about at this point in time, because they're not in a great run, as is the theme of this podcast. Mm-hmm. They have suffered... Let me have a look. They, oh, sorry, I've, I've written this at the bottom. I wrote, I wrote something else at the top, which was, at the time of the Falkirk game, this, this was how many defeats they'd had. That was, that was ages <laughs> ago, Craig. But yes, I, but they're not doing well, Furlow. No, they're not, they're not doing well. No, well, let's, we'll just look at the stats. They, they picked up two points from their past four league matches, and that was against Annan Athletic and Edinburgh City. Edinburgh City picked up their second point of the season against them, which isn't great. On top of that, and I know it's not necessarily a coveted trophy, but... They were beaten in the, the SPFL Trust Trophy 4-1 by Rangers' young team. There was, was a suggestion re- that was basically Rice took that game off and they just weren't bothered. Well, I mean, I'd say that, but I'm, I'm, the lineup that they put out was broadly their first team. Certainly it was a small bench. There was only like like five players on the bench, four outfield players. So I suppose that they, they could only put out the team that they had and that just so happens was the was the, the largely their, their best players. But nevertheless, to go 4-1 down to Rangers' kids' team that's not fantastic, and it just feeds into that wider that wider narrative that that Aloha have regressed badly this season. Yeah, there's no wins. Just to come with the stats, I should have had ready at the start. There's no wins in four. There are three wins in thirteen competitive games this season. So they didn't really have a particularly they won one game, but they didn't have a particularly impressive via play cup campaign they got beat by St Johnson oh <laughs> shame imagine that <laughs> to be fair there's not many teams that can say that this season including, <laughs> including Sterling Albert <laughs> and Stenhouse Muir and Stenhouse Muir that's it St Johnson we Stenhouse Muir and Sterling Albert were able to beat St Johnson and Alwa couldn't do it and on top of that as well amidst the gloom and this is what we touched on when we were talking about managers who haven't necessarily conducted themselves or really made a, an appeal to supporters. Brian Rice in his post-match interviews, he can seem either crab it, particularly towards interviews or podcasts that Sean and I McGuigan did. Uh, we can perhaps touch on that after the Falkirk defeat. And then perhaps over-exaggerates how well his team have done, where it's not really consummate to what we've seen out in the pitch. Like I'm sure he was very uh, ebullient after the 1-1 draw with Edinburgh City and you think that's the, the worst side in the division that's a team that are certainties to go down that you couldn't beat and yet you're really happy with how the, the team did in it they're interested to at this point in time because the starting with that Rangers game actually they have started to play a different style of play almost so a complaint of fans earlier in the campaign was that the team had no real identity that they were just, a lot of time, it was just kind of aimless balls up front to Connor Salmon or into the channels, trying to win second balls, but they weren't really managing to do that. They didn't seem to have even the kind of intensity or the grit or whatever you want to call it to prosper in more kind of agricultural terms. Hmm. But recently, like I say, starting with that Rangers game, and then the last two games when they have made a few kind of big changes because they bought in 
Bobby Wales and Ali Roy to the yeah. club. And the fans have said, despite the fact that one was a one-all draw with Edinburgh City at home, don't really need to explain why that's not a great result. And the last one was a loss to Montrose. But they did look better in terms of their style of playing. That loss to Montrose, yeah, it's not great when you're in a, a poor run of form as it is and you've not had a great start to the season. But they, again, kind of it was a last late goal that, that did them in. And Roy, even though he looked like a bit of a panic buy, has actually been quite impressive so far. He, he scored in both these games and he's started in front instead of Salmon and he seems to be giving them a different kind of option in which somebody who is... Because Salmon at this point, he's, well, Salmon's never been great at playing ways back to goal. He looks like he should be, but he's never been. Yeah, yeah. He's never yeah, been particularly that, great in the air. He's never right, been particularly right. great playing ways back to goal. He's somebody that made his career off of running in behind. Through balls. Yes. You know, he's, he's a bit like, and, and believe me when I say this, is a very crude comparison, so I want to want to, I want to to wrap this point up in that. In that it's now, uh, it lines with Romelu Lukaku in that point. But you know, you know what I mean? Where, yeah. where you think because of his size and that, he'd be absolutely fantastic at playing ways back to goal. But like Connor Salmon, he just wants to be slipped in onto his left foot to shoot and, and finish. I'm sure I heard this for somebody else recently. Compared to somebody else. Somebody, to somebody's compared Connor Salmon to Romelu Lukaku. Not, not Salmon, but somebody else very kind of... Oh, I can't remember who it was. Now. I don't know if it was maybe even Ewan on the show I'd done with him earlier today. I, I, I can't even mind, but it's, uh, there's out there the tennis Patreon somewhere. There, there's twice now. There's evidence of twice in the space of a week. We have been, Scottish people being compared to Romelu Lukaku. We have been Romelu Lukaku pilled Fowler, and I don't like it one bit. <laughs> but now, bye. You're right. Ali Roy came in on loan from East Kilbride. He was the player. Do you remember when East Kilbride's media admin was teasing that they'd signed David Goodwillie and received a bit of backlash? Oh it yeah. Actually, it was actually Ali Roy was the player that they signed to. Is a lot less palatable as long as his dad doesn't have oversight of the the WhatsApp group chat. Um, another deep cut there as, as well. I can't even remember exactly the context for it, but that was uh, that was a deep cut. If Sean was here. He would uh, he, he, he would pop hard for it. Yeah, I miss Sean. He's good at the, <laughs> this sort of stuff. Uh, but he'd say he'd sign for East Kilbride and was very quickly loaned out again. I think, and I think that was one of the criticisms that we had of Allo was the the striking options because he only really started the season with Salmon and Bradley Rodden, and this is Bradley Rodden who again Sean and I were quite critical of. It scored two really good goals in the next week against uh, Queen of the South. I don't think he's a particularly good player, though. He's very enthusiastic, but just perhaps lacked that. Um, lacks the quality necessary to make a success of it in, in League One. And then, of course, they had Luke Donnelly as well. Luke Donnelly's better playing sort of in between the midfield. It's quite close. He's not quite, he's not quite a striker. He's not quite a midfielder. He's just like a forward, an attacker. Mm. And I think that was something they were criticised for, not having a good uh, variety of options. And I think with Roy and Wales coming in, who I think he was quite highly rated uh, within the Kilmarnock youth setup, it has given them uh, an extra option up front. It's given them a, a wee bit of variation to their play. It hasn't necessarily yielded any success though. So that's the that's the only issue. They are, I mean, they are scoring. There's Roy's got like what two and two. I think Roy's got so far. So that's that augurs well. You'd have to say it's maybe no great insight because we're talking about teams near the bottom of their respective divisions. But defence is an issue for Alawa as well. It's not looked right all season. Morgan Neal has been coming in for a bit of stick. His performances don't seem to be particularly great. I did, also, that's, that's something, so sorry just to talk about Morgan Neal. I remember, see, when he got his move to Cove Rangers and played in the Championship, you're thinking, I think the Championship's a, a step too far for a player of Morgan Neal's quality. He's, he's definitely, in terms of a, 
a lower league, someone like further down, in terms of just being a stopper, very, very good at a big, strong boy that can header the ball. And I thought by moving to Allo Athletic, I think he could be a really good success. So I was surprised to see him. I think it was particularly against Falkirk in that 4-1 defeat at the Rex. Like, really, really poor in that match. And I don't know if it might... It might he might be better playing in a three than he would do in a two. So I don't know if that's something that, Brian Rice, if you're listening, uh, maybe it's something you want to consider, sir. Well, that is something as well that has been an issue for the defence because, well, it's... It's a, it's a chicken and an egg scenario where Rice has moved his defence around a lot. He's moved mm. the shape. He's changed the shape. He's, he's moved personnel here and there. Now it's it's kind of looking for the right blend, but also at the same time, it doesn't necessarily give them the opportunity to, to, to build up an understanding. Because to compare them to Aberdeen, so Aberdeen have looked a lot better defensively in, in recent weeks than they did earlier in the campaign. And I think a big part of that was Barry Robson after the defeat to Tynecastle, which I'm thinking I'm right in saying was Gartenman's debut. So it was the first time that back three had played together. Even though they weren't good, he stuck with them for the next week because it was basically a case of these guys need to play together, need to build up an understanding. I've, I've got mm. faith that these are my best three, so I'm just going to stick with them. And I don't think Rice has necessarily done that as much. I think that's maybe been a hindrance to them as well. Also, you just have to wonder, is this just a massive hangover for that complete capitulation to Hamilton Ackes in the second leg of the playoff semi? It could be. It could be. I think that that's, again, you're, you're trying to look for explanations and his reasons as to, as to why something that was broadly successful last season is, isn't working anymore. I mean, that match against Hamilton, you, I've never seen a collapse quite like it. I mean, to go from, from a relative position of strength to up, and Aki's performance was so bad that their supporters en masse moved to the centre of that stand at New Douglas Park to shout at the board and tell them to fuck off. You, you chuck that away. You, you chuck that away in the trash and, and you lose that and you're knocked out of the playoffs. I, it could be. It could be, but I, I, I've never been a football player, so I don't know what it's like in the dressing room, but if you've kind of got a manager that, like, I don't know what Brian Rice is like in front of the players. I always quite like listening to his interviews because I always think he's got, even though I don't necessarily agree with him, I always think he's quite interesting to listen to. But I just think his demeanour sometimes it annoys me. I'm not a football, obviously not a football player, but it annoys me. And I think that the way after that Falkirk match where the interviewer who does the commentary, Lewis, I'm not sure what his second name is, but Lewis had asked him about a, a change in formation. I think he'd gone with a midfield diamond against Falkirk. It looked a very <laughs> attacking midfield. Aye, and, and, and everyone knows, even if you've got the, the, the vaguest passing knowledge of Scottish football this season, everyone knows what Falkirk's best strength is. It's their quality out wide for Calvin Miller, Alfie Aguiman, Callum Morrison. And the fact is that they didn't have like put players backing up their the, the, the full-backs. It was, a, it, was a, it was a massacre. It was a massacre. It was like the, the Battle of Austerlitz, except like John McGlynn's not Napoleon. We have to really have to get that clear. John McGlynn's not Napoleon. But Brian Rice really like just played in the trap. You don't know your military history, do you? I'm aware of who Napoleon is. Yeah, you know the Battle of Austerlitz is considered to be one of the greatest uh, military tactical manoeuvres in the history of battles. What, what did he do? I'd read it on Wikipedia. It's, okay. um, it's, <laughs> basically, he, had, he, he, he surrendered this piece of land that was seen as very, very valuable. Like, Austerlitz is in Czech Republic, I think it is. He surrendered this very uh, advantageous piece 
feigned that he was ill and he encouraged the Allied forces to attack him. And basically the Allied forces came to this hill and just as they were coming around, there was another unit that were coming around and basically just just enveloped them and pincered them uh, and absolutely uh, destroyed them. But they played into his hands. That's that's what I'm saying. They played into his hands. That's, that's what I'm saying. Brian Rice is in charge of the Allied forces. John McGlynn was Napoleon. There we go. That's where I'm going with that. Sorry, I, I, it's not often I get the chance to talk about the Battle of Austerlitz in these podcasts, fellow. so you'll forgive me for that one. Feels, I mean, it's obvious to say this with every team that's struggling, but it does feel like a big game this weekend to hold McKelty Hearts. Mm. It's, a, it's a team that we'd have fancied to finish above before the season started, but Kelly have obviously been a lot more impressive than anybody really realised. And then after that, they're away to Falkirk and away to Stirling. So you're yeah. kind of like, if you don't get a victory this week, when's it coming? Yeah, definitely. I think that, that Kelty Hearts, although Kelty Hearts took a bit of a pasting against Greenock Morton, and the, 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 I think they were beaten 4-1 by them. So aye, it's not the best circumstances for them to come into. But however, Ke- uh, Kelty Hearts' last game in the league, they smashed Edinburgh 4-1 at Meadowbank. And that was a place where Allah could only draw. So you'd have to say you'd really fancy Kelty to, to do it. They've be, made an exceptional start to the season. I think they're performing well above what anyone finished them. But you would imagine, if you were looking, if you, after the first quarter, if you imagined how the league table would look, you would have those two teams swapped around uh, their places. Um, so yeah, Falkirk, I would fancy Falkirk to win about 90% of the matches they're going to partake in this season in the league. And then still in Albion, it's, uh, I'm not sure the last time they played each other they well, they shared the league with one another. It was actually I, I, very quickly that popped into my head, but they've they've lost to them twice already this season. Uh, they lost them in the the league cup. They lost to them on their, their, their second game of the season. A third defeat. You know, it's, it's, it's your rival team, and although it's a, a small rival, or, or certainly not a small rivalry, but a rival between two clubs of smaller stature, these things still matter. Your record in the derby still matter. You will know that more than anyone else, being a JT. And and like how how important uh, Derby wins are. So I you go into that. I and if you don't win this Back weekend, Smith. <laughs> grow up, <laughs> grow up. But you go into this one with that, and I you would you would worry for for Rice. You would worry for Rice. You worry for all these managers. It's, it's although Aloha traditionally are not a sacking club. No, that's the big thing. Traditionally not a sacking club. I'm sure the only manager they sacked, I think it might have been the last manager that they sacked. Alan Maitland, I think it was that they sacked him. They sacked him after finishing it in the playoffs in 2010. They had, a bit of potted history, Aloha had, at Christmas, were in fourth place and doing well to compete for promotion, but a disastrous run of form over the second half of that season saw them sink down the table like a stone and Stennis Muir, like on the penultimate day, pipped them and or the final day of the season picked them and ended up finishing in eighth place, Alloa ninth, and I think that was the last time an Alloa manager was moved on. Like Paul Hartley, even like guys like Barry Smith, Danny did, Lennon. Did Ferguson quit? Ferguson quit. Ah, I think Ferguson quit before he was pushed. And Fer- as you remember, Ferguson was quite clever because he left and then went straight on the radio to say that you know I'm, do- I'm doing this for the for the good of the club. You know, it's a. a I say, say I, I, and then he had Mark Guidi with him saying, I, "I'm surprised, Barry, you've never been given a, a job managing full-time football." Really? Yeah. What, what could you do, Barry? You're not used to working with players of this caliber. That's right. But to go back to the wider point, it's, it's something that Aloha traditionally don't do. I know Mike Mulraney's moved on from from Aloha. He's now uh, working with the, the Scottish FA. He's a fairly senior in, in there, 
there's a new chairman that's coming, so I don't know if he'll do things differently. But that's certainly for most managers, you go in at Aloha, and I think that's why it's such an attractive club for managers. You go in there, you will be given a lot of time to to get things right and to put your mark in the team. And so that's certainly something that Rice has as an advantage that perhaps other part-time teams, other full-time teams even, uh, don't give you. Right, now let's go all the way down to ninth place in League 2, the side that are almost propping up the entire SPFL. Only Elgin City are worse off than Clyde. Why are we not talking about Elgin City, folk are asking? (laughs) Why are you picking on Clyde? Because we're picking, because we're doing managers who are under fire, and Barry, oh, Barry Smith. Smith's only been there a couple yeah, of weeks. Not long in the job. I mean, he'll probably be under fire about four months' time, but for this point in time, he's 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 fine. He's still still uh, getting his feet settled. Get his feet settled. That's, that's not a sin. Uh, get his feet under the table. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Get himself settled. Regardless, maybe get himself under the table. That's what he wants to do. Those are quite funny. Sorry, uh, I don't know if this will make it in, but we were filming a view from the terrace yesterday. We had Christoph Berra on. Uh, Christopher Bear is quite a good guest, but he was talking about, um, he, he got mixed metaphors. He said, uh, the carrot at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Obviously, it's the thing, it's like a light at the end of the tunnel, the carrot at the end of the stick, but just to, just, just to bring those two things together, really funny. A light, a light at the end of the stick. Aye, aye, very funny, very funny. Good <laughs> guess, that's, sorry, that's not to criticise him. It's, it's easily, you've done it there, Phil, you're a professional yes. broadcaster, and you've done it, and it's Christoph Berra who's done it as well. So, you know, professional footballers, professional broadcasters, we all make mistakes. And I I haven't headed 70,000 70, footballs in my, in my life as well, so. And and Christoph Berra's never um, run a podcast, so. Well, there you go. We've all got our strengths. And we've all got our weaknesses. And there's certainly a lot of weaknesses at Clyde. Oh, that was easy. I set that one up for you. Set that one up for you. No bother. <laughs> and you and you took that and you bashed it right out of the park. So fair play to you. Fair play to you. Yes, Brian McLean. So this is a an, again another really interesting one, I think, because I mean Clyde have not been good this season at all by any stretch of their imagination. They were always expect. I don't think it were ever really much of an expectation that they were going to go down and immediately be like leading the table or maybe even be like serious promotion contenders, but you didn't think there was a possibility that they would drop out of the SPFL entirely. Oh, did you not think that? I thought they would. I thought that it'd be a season, a real long season for Clyde. I thought it'd be a really difficult season for them. Oh, you thought you actually thought the outset it might be just as, as bad. Well, I suppose what we're saying is maybe the kind of size of the club going into to that level. There were problems with you know playing games in Hamilton, dwindling crowds, the atmosphere around the club's not very good. Hmm. But I, I get what you're saying because after the players that had been signed, then you started to look at them and go, hmm, that's that's not so good. And it was just a, and this is what's kind of, why it's an interesting situation in trying to judge McLean because Jim Duffy was manager last season. Yes. He, he was brought in to replace Danny Lennon. He didn't keep them up. And then instead of being moved on, he was then given the role of, it was kind of a joint role, head of football operations and head of recruitment. But he was also appearing in the dugout and yeah. giving instructions, which is weird because that's like the second time that Jim Duffy's had a like a like quote unquote director of football role, and has been in the dugout giving instructions because he was he got the same job at Hearts for about I don't know two months or something. Jim Duffy uh, at Hearts. It was it was when Graham Ricks was manager. He wanted to bring in Jim so, Duffy, right, and right. somehow for of some reason, each other from Chelsea, wouldn't they? They were each other from the time at Chelsea. For some yeah, for some reason, instead of just making him the assistant manager or first team coach, 
or whatever, they gave him the title of director of football. He was basically there to help Graham Ricks in the dugout. So it was just very weird that director of football was there in the dugout beside the manager, helping the manager to give instructions. But he was doing it again. He was doing it again at Clyde yeah. this season. I... And then he was let go in, I think it was mid-August, was it not? And Brian McLean, so... But by that point, they'd basically signed the majority of the players. I think on August 5th, the board told fans that... Or, or like, a meeting between the board and, and fans or, like, whatever, like the... Members had been told that basically only 70% of the budget had been spent. but So that suggested that there was more players going to come in. But they've only signed three more since then, and they've all been youngsters on loan deals. So it doesn't seem like Brian McLean has had, having been given a squad of players that seemingly have been all been signed by Jim Duffy, also having Jim Duffy there beside them, Jim Duffy's then left or been asked to leave, and then he's pretty much still got the same squad. And they've also, again... At a running theme, going back to the Queen of the South chat, they've had a lot of injuries to contend with this season as well. Yeah. It's it's really hard to judge on whether he is doing as bad a job as you may think, or he's just been dealt a very poor hand. I I think it's a it's a couple of factors. Here. There's a number of points. We'll break those break those down into a number of points, and we'll start off. We we'll start with Jim Duffy. Thought it was unusual for the club to be relegated and then keep the the manager that took them down. I mean, that's not unusual, but. To, to move him on, but just to a, a different role within the club and then have him appear in the dugout again. Thought that was strange. And if I was a Clyde fan, that's not something I'd have been happy with. If He's doing one thing or the other. And if, I'm not sure if McLean, what the situation was, if McLean had asked him to be there, if Jim Duffy took it upon himself to appear in the dugout. You don't know what the circumstances are, but I think, I, I'm sure I read on Pine Bovril, a fan had uh, had or a fan had written something about McLean that after Duffy moved on he could be his own man. He said something along those lines, which, if you're saying that to me, it feels like you're being impeded from doing your job properly. Yeah, and I think that I uh, lot of the guys that, that 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 Duffy signed, like so some of them just like fundamentally not great players. Like they signed him like Dylan Duncan from the University of Glasgow. They signed him. Played him a couple of times. Looked like a competition winner. He's loan at Cowden Beef already. The, the funny thing was, this is like a lot of the players that Duffy was signing were players that, like, for a guy who's been involved in football for so long, you'd imagine he'd a fairly extensive contacts book. But his contacts books like amounted to the players that he'd already worked with in the past. McLean gave an interview not long after taking Clyde, saying we want our players to be fit and mobile to get around the park, create angles, and 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 keep the ball. Next day, they signed Ross Forbes from Stenhouse Muir, and, and Ross Forbes has got his qualities. God, do I know that Ross Forbes has got his qualities, but by God, do I know that Ross Forbes is, is quite limited in that, and fitness and, and ability to move around the park has never, ever been his, his strong suit, as well as signing players like he worked with. Um, Stuart Carswell, who he'd have worked with at, at Dumbarton, they had Liam Scullion at the club already. They signed his brother, who was unattached, and it's like, is this is this really the the best that, that we can do? On top of that, a lot of young guys are coming on loan deals, and so I think that when Duffy moved on, you were thinking, mm, some of these guys that he signed aren't very good. And I think that, that subsequently, the guys that have come in actually on loan have looked all right. Keen Leslie, that's coming from Kilmarnock, he's quite a he's got a bit about him. I think that he might be a bit more, but all fur coat and no knickers. But you're fast and you're direct, and that can ultimately, even if you're not particularly amazing, there's no end product. The fact that you're fast and direct can frighten defenders and it can create chances in other ways. 
you know, can can limit the team. They might be not necessarily want to push forward because you've got a really fast guy that can come behind. Alex King. Yeah, he's, he's joined he a bit of quality him. about him. He was good. He's a good player. He, when they played Stennis Muir, we'll come on and maybe talk about the sort of the best and worst of the play, but in that second half against Stennis Muir where they turned a, a 2-0 defeat to, into a 2 each draw, he really just grabbed the game by the scuff of the neck and any time he got in the ball, like Morton looked, Morton Clyde looked like they were going to go and do something there. So they have signed well in in that regard, but I think on the whole, if you're going to take a look at the squad on the whole, it's kind of like young guys who have come in and it looks like for I think for any other cl- club in League Two, the guy those young guys coming in would be jersey fillers. You know, some an option to bring off the bench. Whereas Clyde, they're coming in, and it's like you're you're part of the first team. It it seems yeah, it seems like they've got uh to kind of generalise the squad because there are a couple of exceptions to this, but to generalise the squad, it's a lot made up of younger players who don't quite have it yet, and older guys who don't have it anymore. Aye, I'd say so. There is I'd some exception. So. One player I haven't mentioned, Logan Dunnicky. The going to, I'm glad I was going to come on to Logan Dunnicky. Um, the the game when I, when I saw Clyde firsthand, I, I saw like the this is where I was talking about seeing the best and worst at Clyde. They went they were two 0 down at the Warriors after like 52 minutes. The first half, I don't think it's an exaggeration. Say Stennis Muir could have been leading about four 0 The Stennis Muir were passing the ball round them really well. There's only a couple of really good saves from Jack Layfield. There a really good save from Matt Aitken pushing a shot. At, it was a header over the bar. Prevented Adam Brown from scoring. He had a really good game. But for whatever, Stennis Muir just dropped out of the match. After Stennis Muir going 2-0, they just dropped out of the match. And I think the big catalyst for that was about midway through the second half, Logan Dunnicky, who is a big boy, by the way. He must be about 6'5", 6'6". And I think once he, he's a young boy, but see, once he fills out, once he fills out, he is going to be a... a a very useful defender in the Scottish lower leagues. Once he got to grip with Matt Aitken and just basically refused to be pushed around, Stennis Muir just couldn't make the ball stick up top. And then because it wouldn't stick up top, it was coming straight to Alex King. And then Clyde were able to to really get a grip of the game. But a lot of that stemmed because Logan Dunnicky was uh, just really stopped Stennis Muir from, from keeping up top. And then subsequently went on to, to score the goal that got them back into the match. I think that he, of all the players that he brought in, he's the most promising. Because, like, in Jim Duffy's credit, a broken clock is right twice a day. But I think there's there's perhaps from the supporters what I've read is they are really pleased he signed at least a two-year agreement because he's the sort of defender that you can, even for someone as young as he is, he's the sort of defender at this level that you can build a defence around. And he's been certainly more uh, impressive than likes of, like, Peter Grant, who would fall into that bracket of guys that are perhaps past their best. I mean, you have seen his mistake that he made against Stranra down uh, where, as in the last minute, I think a ball came in and he ducks. It's a ball that's coming in. It's, he should go for it. I think he gets a shout from the goalkeeper, but he ducks and there's Ollie McDonald there to, to score it in, in injury time. And, and you think you shouldn't be doing that. You've been in the game long enough, Peter Grant, you should be getting your napper on things and, uh, and, and, getting, them, and getting them away. So uh, he's, one, he's one to keep an eye on. The only thing I really kind of got left to say on McLean that that doesn't, that's more of a, not really a defence of him, is kind of what I'm basically saying, is that he does have a tendency to kind of change shapes and players moving positions. And the thing that really stood out for me was after the Stenny game, because they came back and, and played well in the second half against Stenny. And for the next match, he, he changed his formation. So they played in a 4-1-4-1 against Stenny. 
the next game he moved it to a Christmas tree. And he had Connor Young, who is a young forward striker, who'd, who's come in from Rangers, or kind of wide, like, striker, really. But he played them, had them basically playing out on the wing in a kind of Stupid. inside number, number because, 10 role. He just, did, just had no like, idea what he was doing. Like, because Connor Young had a good game against the Warriors. They, they basically played like a 4-4-2, like an orthodox 4-4-2 system. And they had him off Martin Rennie. And Martin Rennie really got into the game in the second half again. This is when Clyde had no possession. They were bang, banging balls up to Martin Rennie. And even if Martin Rennie wasn't winning them, you had Young, who was just playing off him, that was able to pick him up, and he was able to just definitely knock the ball out to the likes of likes of Keen Leslie, who 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 had uh, had Eden Lynch on 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 the back foot a lot of the time. So it just seemed strange that you wanted to do it. And then I think you'd beaten Elgin, you'd gone away to one of the favourites for the division, come back from two 0 down to draw the match. You think, well, that's a corner turned. And you pitch up against Dumbarton and you're dreadful. Well, I'm going to assume they were dreadful. I couldn't watch the fucking highlights. That is the worst highlights package I've seen all season. I mean, two of the goals are missed because the camera, there's a pixel camera doesn't catch them. And and the yeah, somebody, and somebody usually operates the camera and he was on holiday or something. So that the pixel exactly. camera, it was it was just a shocker. Oh, you would actually just say, eh, we don't have any highlights for this game. That would be that would be the kindest thing to do. Just say we don't have any highlights. It's like Pixelot. I cannot believe in the year of our Lord 2023 we are still relying on this dreadful automated camera system. Not to go on about Steny, but just as an example, played Stranraer, beat Stranraer 5-0. Best performance Steny have turned in in years. The fifth goal, Adam Brown's second of the game. Beautiful goal. And you know something? I'm glad I was there to see it because watching the highlights back, you can see Matty Aitken winning the ball around the flank and just as he plays the ball to the edge of the area for Brown to, to run into and sweep it into the net, the camera unexpectedly swings to their half. There's a wee ball boy kicking a ball about on the side of the pitch. So the camera's interpreted that as being in play. So you've missed the goal. All you can see is Darren Jamison, the steady goalkeeper, who's in the half himself, sort of punching there like that. Dreadful. <laughs> Dreadful stuff. Dreadful stuff, and so that's I I, I we interrupt this goal being scored to watch to watch the keeper celebrating. Oh, you know it's like that bit in, in the Simpsons where Kent Brockman's doing an important news bulletin, and they cut to footage of a goat being fed milk. <laughs> that's, that's that's what it was like. That's what it was like. But what I would say about about them in terms of like one of the goals that 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 we did see in that match against Dumbarton was Michael Ruth's goal, which he scored from the edge of the area, and Dumbarton really hit them on the break, and the ball's worked out wide. And it's played to the edge of the area. And you can see the sort of the, the defenders who are all occupied in the box by Dumbarton's attackers. They, you know when the ball's played to the edge, you do that thing when you spin around. And to see Ruth standing there unmarked, no one from the midfield's tracked him in, that's that's really, really bad. That's really bad. You would tear your hair out to think that we've not turned a corner and then you play Dumbarton. And Dumbarton are a good side. Dumbarton are a good side. Dumbarton have got a really good chance of going up this season. But you go and play them and you just think, you were kind of are like almost back to square one, almost. Yeah. Right, tell for that. The one thing to oh. say as well, sorry, there's one more thing to say. It was about uh, how McLean carries himself in interviews. Oh, of course, yeah, sorry. That was, that was the thing to say. It's, um, it is a, a man who does not like being in front of camera. No, no it doesn't, doesn't seem comfortable. No, I did, because I, I did. Um, I saw like a lot of Clyde fans saying that they find these post game interviews basically quite bluntly. Dull, and so I watched it, and I thought 
for watching one of them, I thought it's a little bit harsh, but I can see why if that's if he talks all the time that it can get a bit grating. Yeah, I, I mean you're not kind of expecting your manager to like squirt the interviewer with a flower that he's got on his, his lapel or anything like that, but you do want to see some degree of animation. I I I, I do think that post match interviews are important. I I, I, hmm. I do because as a supporter, it's the only time you ever really get to to hear from from your manager. And if your manager's standing with his hands in his pockets, like like looking like he's been stopped by the police for like chucking litter out his his car, it just doesn't really inspire confidence. And then you see the stuff on the pitch as well, and and just just all sorts there. But Clyde, I I think they've perhaps got they've perhaps I mean that was two good results back to back against Elgin and Steny. They've perhaps got enough, and I think they've to 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 to, to stay up. And I think they'll compared to Elgin more scope to turn the team around than Elgin. Elgin's location is always going to like like be a, a thing against them. Um, but the big the big decision that something that Sean and I talk about any time we discuss crown point. Like I, I was expecting the start of October there to be some sort of decision Aye. as to whether or not they were moving to crown point. That hasn't come to pass. And we're just like, the club still feels like it's in limbo. Oh, yeah, completely. And and like I said at the top, we, we, we're not just some, like, crowds have dwindled massively. And... I would say, you say they dwindled massively. I mean, I've not been, I've not had the chance to go uh, away to see Clyde this season. That will come in a couple of weeks. They did bring good numbers to Oakville View, and they were very vocal. They've still, I'd, say, I'd say that. They, they, they've still got a, decent, a, good... a, hard, a hard day away support. I think a lot of people were just fed up of going to Hamilton. Oh, I mean, I... I Aye, like I, I uh, the parking's good in Hamilton. I'll say that, and you can be it's about twenty minutes from my house. So Very close to the train station as well. Yeah, well, well, well. I mean, if you don't drive, and that's uh, that, that's that's your lookout. But yeah, I can assure you, fellow, when you learn how to drive, you'll be you'll be talking up Hamilton as one of your favourite away days because you can get there and back in twenty minutes. Right, well, that does. Uh, yeah, I mean, are you ever going to learn how to drive? I put you on the spot there. Put you on um, the spot there. If I ever have kids. Well, I, I can assume then that, Fowler, you'll be looking for lifts for a very long time. <laughs> At the very least, for nine months yet. <laughs> right. At the very least, yeah, fucks. That's, that's just, Fowler giving a wee like there, yeah. Listen, I might not be able to drive, but I do fuck from time to time. So it's like, fair play, I've got you in that one, Telford. I've got you in that one. Oh, God. Okay, let's finish this now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, thank you very much for joining me. No, thank you, fellow. Good fun. Enjoyed that. Cheers, and thank you to everybody for listening. If you'd like to hear from more of us, there is a Patreon. Myself and Telford aren't recording one, but there's plenty going up this week. Myself and Ewan talked about the Scotland against France game. We managed to actually talk about some interesting things from uh, international friendly, which is quite rare. There is also the Tony and Craig Anderson gave their thoughts on how absolutely crap Norway were, and reassuringly so. That meant that Scotland qualified for the Euros. Amy and Duncan done a quite light-hearted podcast on former jobbers of SPFL clubs who would actually come back now and improve the current team. And there's just so much content from last week, last month, last year, last five years. All of it available for as little as £5 per month. And this is still Open the Vault Month. I've not done one this midweek, but I'll be putting up another one on Sunday. For those unaware, that is basically podcasts that have been on the Patreon already for a, a number of weeks, months, however, that I'm releasing to 
basically give people a taste of what they're missing out on if they haven't subscribed already. So I think that's everything. Oh, no, yeah. Watch a view for the terrace this Friday night, BBC Scotland Channel, 10.30pm, and you can also watch it on the iPlayer. Oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good show. If, if, I, if, I, if I wasn't a part of it, I'd watch it. Good. So would I. Yeah, it's like EastEnders. I'm not, uh, I'm not from London, but I still enjoy watching it. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.